0: Hey everybody, Steve here. I know that every now and again on this podcast, I pull out my soapbox and I preach from it, even though I try not to. So this one might come across as a little bit preachy, so please bear with me as I pay homage to some very special people and in the process, issue a challenge to us all. So what is it that causes some people to inspire us? I've wondered about this all my life because starting when I was very young, people have appeared who changed my path. Inspire is a really interesting word. It comes from the Latin inspirare, meaning to breathe or blow into. Taking into account the beliefs of the Holy Roman Empire, it meant to breathe in the spirit, and in those days referred to the actions of some kind of a divine being. Today it means to fill someone with emotion and with an overwhelming desire to do something creative. Now for me, Inspirational people have never been athletes or business leaders or even musicians, although I've certainly worshipped more than my fair share of rock stars. For me, being the geek that I was, my heroes were writers and scientists and researchers and explorers, people who dedicated their lives to peering into the darkness and shining a light on it to illuminate it for the rest of us. I've always been a reader. And as a kid, books about science and mystery and exploration captivated me. In fact, they still do. As I got older and my knowledge and imagination got broader and deeper, I read books about geography, biology, medicine, oceanography, geology, and chemistry. I read the biographies of George Banting and Frederick Best, who discovered the role of the pancreas in producing insulin and developed treatments for diabetes, the diagnosis of which was a death sentence before their work. I learned about Ross Allen, the creator of the Ross Allen Institute in Florida, one of the greatest reptile and amphibian experts on the planet. I read everything by Raymond Lee Dittmars, another great herpetologist. I read about Jonas Salk and Albert Sabin, who created separate but equally effective polio vaccines. I'm not old, but I'm old enough. I remember with crystalline clarity walking down to my elementary school in Oklahoma City when I was seven years old on a Saturday morning to be handed a sugar cube with a tiny drop of life-saving medicine glistening on top of it. That oral vaccine protected me from the polio virus, something my neighbor, who would spend the rest of his short life in an iron lung, was denied because it didn't come soon enough. Those explorers and researchers and scientists inspired me because, even to that very young version of myself, they were leaders, doing what all good leaders do, painting a picture of what could be rather than what is, a new and better status quo, and then enrolling the people around them to make it happen. Their stories made me want to know more, made me want to be a scientist. I didn't know what kind. I just knew that there was nothing more important and that there was nothing I wanted more. As a kid, I was enchanted by the natural world, as many of you know. I captured and studied turtles and frogs and snakes and lizards and insects. I fed them. I bred them. I kept careful notes about them. And then I released them. I still have the notes. So, time passes. I grew up, went to school, got married, started a career, had kids, became a writer, traveled extensively, never lost my love for nature. I became a nature photographer, developed an interest in natural soundscapes, and started recording them. I guess at this point, I just have to admit that I'm a naturalist. Always have been, always will be. There's an elegance, a beauty, and an understated extraordinariness to the natural world that will awe me forever as it should which is why I decided to do this episode, which I call Homage to Greatness. In a few weeks, Sir David Attenborough will celebrate his 92nd birthday. The BBC celebrated the event by producing a video in his honor called 92 Years in 92 Seconds. You should go find it on YouTube. It's amazing. I watched it, wiped away a few tears, and marveled at what this man has done to bring humans and the natural world together to raise our collective awareness of the oneness that we share with the living things that are on this planet with us. Everything he's done in his entire life has been in the service of the natural world. But he's not the only one. Jane Goodall will be 85 this year. Sabina and I just watched Jane, the documentary about her life. From such uninformed, unprepared beginnings, she became one of the most revered primatologists and naturalists on the planet. Like Attenborough, she conjoles us, she challenges us, and when appropriate, she chastises and scolds us, as she should. We share this planet with thousands of sentient species, and yet, more and more, we don't. We overwhelm them, we subdue them, we exterminate them, we dominate them. The result, if our actions go unchecked, will be very bad news for us. That brings me to the third person to whom I bow in homage, Ed Wilson, the foremost myrmecologist on the planet. He'll be 90 this year. Ed's an ant expert. That's what a myrmecologist is. But he's so much more than that. He's a bioethicist, a humanitarian, and a teacher. And he is as committed to the preservation of the natural world as Jane Goodall and David Attenborough. His recent book, Half Earth, is a plea for reasonableness, that we as humans have the responsibility to protect every living species on this planet, because if we don't, we will soon discover how little is protecting us. I'm a member of a group in Vermont that's actively exploring how we can bring Ed's plea to set aside large swaths of the planet for the non-human residents of the planet. And in response to our efforts, he sent us a message by phone. Dear Vermont friend, I've heard about the wonderful group you've formed uh, to bring the Half-Earth project to your beautiful state. Your effort to rally state agencies, and nonprofits, profits and businesses, and schools all to recognize the value of biodiversity and work together inspires me and warms my heart. When I wrote Half-Earth, your efforts uh, were just the kind of action I was hoping to inspire. Our project desperately needs to engage students in particular, the inheritors and next stewards of our beautiful planet. Warmest regards and keep up the good work. Finally, I want to shine a light on Sylvia Earle, now 83, a gifted marine biologist whom I had the pleasure to meet and learn from during my years as an undergraduate student at UC Berkeley. She's an outspoken advocate for the water-covered parts of this planet And her book, The World is Blue, has been described as the silent spring of our time. These four people, Sylvia Earle, Jane Goodall, E.O. Wilson, and David Attenborough, are, above all else, explorers committed to shedding light on the darkness of ignorance through equal measures of curiosity and passion. As Sylvia says, reasons for exploration abound. Acquiring territory, seeking wealth, looking for new ways to get from here to there— But above all, it comes down to curiosity. Throughout history, people have been lured to new lands, climbed mountains, sailed over the surface of the ocean, reached for the moon, and actually gotten there in large measure because of the very human need to know, to understand. Suffice it to say, these are my heroes, my idols, my inspiration. This podcast, after all, is called The Natural Curiosity Project. But here's what I spend a lot of time thinking about. These people are all reaching a point in their lives when they'll be departing this earth. And my question is this, who will replace them? Who are the thinkers, the inspirers, the prodders, the instigators who stand ready to fill their shoes? Who will hold us accountable? Who will shame us when necessary, cajole us to be better, lead us to extraordinary results from ordinary actions? Who will be our environmental conscience? Just look at Attenborough's latest work, Our Planet, and the controversy it has created. Why? Because he and the BBC had the audacity to show nature at its best and its worst. Are people horrified at the sight of walruses falling to their deaths from cliff faces? Of course, but that's the point. What they should be horrified by is the fact that these horrible things are happening because of human-influenced climate change, something that Attenborough and his colleagues want us to see until we see what it really looks like. It's merely an academic concept. So look closely, be horrified, now do something about it. Here's the other thing. We owe it to the planet and to ourselves to create an environment in which children are encouraged to become responsible scientists, whether citizen or professional, a place where scientists and science are revered for the treasures that they are, and for the incalculable value that they bring to the world, to our world. Aldo Leopold, writing in his book, Sand County Almanac, said this about our role and about the role of science. We abuse land because we regard it as a commodity belonging to us. When we see land as a community to which we belong, we may begin to use it with love and respect. There is no other way for land to survive the impact of mechanized man, nor for us to reap from it the aesthetic harvest it is capable under science of contributing to culture. Looking at the land as something to which we belong rather than as something that we own is a radical departure from the norm. But you only have to read a newspaper or a copy of National Geographic or Time Magazine to understand just how much the norm has hurt us. Because we don't see ourselves as an integral part of the land, we treat it with disdain. We take from the earth without giving in return, as any responsible community citizen would do. Everything we do, we do with zeal and confidence that's inspiring, except that we rarely, if ever, stop to think about the consequences, unintended or otherwise, of those actions. We cut the forests to make way for palm oil plantations and cattle, or to harvest the hardwoods that live there. In the process, we destroy delicate habitat and wipe out hundreds of species that live there and the loss of trees leads to erosion on a mass scale. Those forests are the lungs of the planet and we're consciously trading them for cheap cooking oil, cheap beef and fancy wood products. How is it worth it? How could it possibly be? I worry that we won't learn important lessons from Goodall, Attenborough, Earl and Wilson before they're gone. And at the same time, I worry that we won't learn the long-term impact of our short-term destructive behavior before it's too late, before we pass beyond the unrecoverable tipping point and hand an even bigger unrecoverable mess to our children and to their children. Because then we'll look back wistfully and say, we should have listened, but we didn't. Sylvia Earle once said that the best scientists and explorers have the attributes of kids They ask questions and have a sense of wonder. They have curiosity, who, what, where, why, when, and how. They never stop asking questions, and neither do I, just like a five-year-old. We all need to adopt that approach, to let our innate curiosity bear fruit, to allow ourselves to ask those profoundly elementary questions, to allow ourselves to care about the planet and everything that lives here with us. Even more important, we owe it to our children and to their children, to teach them to be curious, to embrace their role on this planet. Aldo Leopold again. That land as a community is the basic concept of ecology, but that land is to be loved and respected is an extension of ethics. That land yields a cultural harvest is a fact long known, but latterly often forgotten. As Sylvia Earle says in The World is Blue... It has taken about 4 billion years for living systems, mostly in the sea, to transform the lifeless ingredients of early earth into the Eden that makes our lives possible, and less than a century for us to destabilize those ancient rhythms. Our ethics, latterly, are wanting. I think it's time we did something about that. For the Natural Curiosity Project, I'm Steve Shepard. Thank you for listening.